0: you do. Amen. Good to have you tonight. Turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians. Well, let me wait. Yeah, hold your place in the book of Ephesians. Then we're going we're gonna to do a little traveling through a few books in just a moment pretty quick. And so let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to speak to us as we open our hearts to hear what he has to say. Father, open our hearts to hear what you have to say about prayer. And especially praying for our church family and praying for the family of God in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. We've been talking about prayer and especially and more succinctly and more definitively praying for our church family and the power of our prayers and how it influences the family of God and the body of Christ. And we're going we're to continue to do that tonight. We've been looking at different people's prayers. We looked at Nehemiah's prayer uh, in chapter 1 of Nehemiah and you think well that has nothing to do with the church it really does because he was praying for Jerusalem, he had a burden for Jerusalem Jerusalem is a picture of the church and so uh, certainly valid and And then we looked at the prayer life of Daniel Sunday morning and how he prayed, I'm telling you Daniel's my hero, what a great prayer warrior and uh, he, when he knew there was a a, a a law written that would make it against the law for him to Uh, basically the death sentence to pray to any god or bow to any god other than the god that uh, or the king that he served there in babylonian captivity he went to his room up to the upper room opened his windows toward jerusalem and there he prayed as was his custom and so what a great prayer life he had Paul the Apostle, uh will really get definitive with his uh, prayers for the churches, he prayed for the churches. And so we're going to look at Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus tonight specifically. And let me just say about that, uh, not a lot of point, if you will, or, or, or uh, we're just going to go verse by verse and just comment on this prayer a little bit and, 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 and in hopes and and a desire that it spur us and spark us to really begin to pray uh, these kind of prayers over our church family. But let me just kind of build a, 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 a biblical base to the, to the truth that Paul prayed, not just for the church in Ephesus, but for many different churches. So let's walk through. Let me show you. In fact, there's one that I'm tempted to, to talk about next Wednesday night. Let's look at, let's pass Ephesians and look at the Philippians. Look in Philippians chapter 1. Verse 3, and you'll see once he gets through his greeting, he says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. So you see Paul the apostle when he's writing to this church, and I I think this is kind of an interesting insight. Once he gets past the the little, uh, you know, who he is and, you know, the greeting... He just right up front says, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm, always, I'm thank, thanking God for you, and I'm praying for you. How many of you know that's an encouragement when you realize people are praying for you? Amen. Especially Paul the apostle. So we see him there with the church in Philippi. He's praying for the church. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine making requests for you. With all joy, I like that. Amen. In other words, man, he just it just revs his motor, if you will, to to pray for this church. He's just got the joy of the Lord in his heart. Come on up closer. Come on up closer. There you go. There you go. Amen. I'm hassling Josh and laura a little bit. They they've been liberated tonight, so it's good to have them. And then let's look in Colossians chapter one. Go the next book, Uh, Philippians, Colossians chapter one. Uh, this is a pretty cool prayer. Uh, it's pretty definitive. Uh, he says in verse three again, "We give thanks to the God of our Father, give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you." Everyone say, "Praying always." And again, consistency. We see in Paul in his prayers for the church, praying always for you. Since we heard, now we're going to see this in Ephesians. These two words. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. In other words, there's something about the evidence of faith and love in the hearts of people that sparks Paul to a new level of of import into their life at the place of prayer. He said, when I saw your faith, when I saw your love for all the saints... It stirred me to pray for you. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Uh, And uh, look over in verse 9, he jumps back and kind of talks about his prayer life, his prayer for this church. He says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, really, they heard of their testimony and what God was doing in their lives. Since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, this kind of will go along with the Ephesus prayer, but it has a few little angles to it uh, that I like as well. Verse 10, and he says, We pray that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy." giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And then he goes on to begin to encourage them more. So we see him praying for the Colossian church, for the church in Colossae, if you will. He's praying for the uh, Phil- church in Philippi. And then he prays for the church in First Thessalonians, the Thessalonican church. You don't need to turn there, verse 2 of First Thessalonians 1. He just says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. So, just wanted to build a foundation here that Paul the Apostle, uh, the the one who was probably more influential and remains to be more influential than any other of the Apostles from a long-term perspective, all of them have their place. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Here we find him telling these churches when he writes to them, I'm praying for you. Amen. And so, just very important for us to understand the importance of praying for our church family and we ought to follow follow in the footsteps of paul and begin to realize the validity and the necessity and the joy and the great opportunity we have to impact uh, people's lives even beyond our lifetime if you remember uh, last uh, uh, sunday morning we talked about daniel's prayer life he prayed the kind of prayers that he knew would 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 not be answered in his lifetime he prayed into the future and made a difference in, in the world beyond his lifetime. I said this, our prayers have no uh, shelf life. There's no shelf life on your prayers. There's no, there's no expiration date on your prayers. You know, most of us, we put God in a, in a position where we think he needs to answer us in a time slot that we know. How many of you know uh, the, the verse that says, A day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. He doesn't look at time the way we look at time. We love the part that says a thousand years can be like a day, uh, but a day is like a thousand years. You ever had one of those days? Oh, it's like a thousand years. (laughs) Well, what he's saying is God's not limited to the time span that we have. Many times our prayers, though we don't see them with our natural eyes, the fruition of them, they're still working their work. And so that's why it's important for us, like we see with Daniel, to remain consistent. You see, we see with these guys, they're praying consistently and persistently over things in their life and over the church and over the ministry that God has for them. If prayers, uh, you know, uh, go out into the spiritual atmosphere and we're always praying uh, over these things, there's always prayer emphasis and, and, and energy, if you will, being released into the spiritual atmosphere. We stop praying those things, you know, our prayers that we prayed yesterday Yes, they may still be going on and making their effort and their energy But if we keep on keeping on, guess what? God can keep on, keep on keeping on in our lives and in the church, amen So I want to encourage you in that Let's look at Ephesians tonight Let's look at this prayer that Paul prayed for the church Now, here's, here's your uh, homework You want some homework tonight? Homework tonight is to go, go home tonight And I may hit a little of this and read the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1 Because as you will see when we go through this prayer uh, In Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 19 You'll see that uh, a lot of what he says before this He's declaring is available to them And so it's important to see this In other words, uh, how many of you, when you when, what I tell you When you see a therefore, what are you supposed to do? Look back and see what the therefore is there for. And look what verse 15 says, therefore, I also everyone say, therefore, in other words, let's go back tonight and let's look at the beginning uh, of Ephesians and read those first few verses the, let's see the first 14, 15 verses. And Get a little context to this prayer. I know it'll be a blessing to you and we'll do a little bit of that just to show that to you So let's jump in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 through 19 here. It is therefore. I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints stop you remember that Remember you remember what we read in Colossian. I think it was Coloss- to the Colossian church. He saw two things He saw their faith and their love for the saints. You know, I got to thinking about that this week. And especially as I focused on this teaching today. How many of you can kind of think, Paul, he said, when I saw those two things, it sparked me, spurred me, it stirred me to pray for you. In other words, when, when he saw faith and he saw love for others, to him, those were the two big validating benchmarks of, 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 of validity, if you will, in, in, in this is a viable, real Bona fide, honest to God, honest to God's church, because they have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that faith is made evidence in their love for their for one another. How many of the Scripture teaches us that 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 faith without, uh, you know, you know, if we say we love God and have faith in God, but we don't love our brother, it's really a contradiction of terms. And so, two important things about the church. Faith and love that stirred Paul To begin to really pray for the church like never before And that's what he prayed Let me just say This prayer that I'm about to read to you You could study it and, and pull it apart And digest it uh, and more and more And when we get to you know some of the descriptive words Of, of, of how he is You see his passion for these people You see that he's trying in every way he can To tell them what he desires for them and what is available to them as the body of Christ and what he's praying for them. He's not just praying, "and now, now bless me, bless them, Lord, keep them safe and, you know, help them make it till Jesus comes. I'm telling you, he is jumping off into the spiritual deep with this church and in, in, in his prayers. and, and So as a result, uh, I'm not going to, I'm just going to let the words kind of work for themselves and just give a little commentary. And I want you to digest it a little more as you go through it as well. So verse 15, I'm going to read it all and then we'll come back and jump in it. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's what he says he's praying. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That's a big statement right there, and we'll look at it. And verse 19, and he prays uh, that they would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead uh, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And so he's praying that, that they would experience the power, that same resurrection power, amen. So let's jump into it, this prayer. Let me just kind of pick it apart, look at it verse by verse. We looked at verse 15, the two, the two really uh, validators, indicators of a, a genuine, uh, uh, full-fledged uh, uh, you know, church, faith and love. And, and it produces great works in their midst. But look in verse 16, what he says. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, he says, I'm just thanking God for you all the time. Now, that's a key ingredient in in effective praying, especially for others. You know, when when you're even praying for, for circumstances and situations that are a little overwhelming or discouraging... How many of you know Thanksgiving stirs up faith in your heart over, the, over those you're praying for? And so here we find Paul, in fact, in other places, he's, he begins his prayer, prayer time for these people saying, I, I'm just continually thanking God for you. And I want you to know something about Thanksgiving. Even when you don't feel thankful for something, when you start thanking God for it, it will stir up an attitude of gratitude in your heart. Remember what I said last Wednesday, maybe last Sunday or the Sunday before? I said the enemy is trying to undermine the church and, and by, the, by way of devaluing the local church in people's minds and the body of Christ. Man, it's maybe, maybe so, maybe not. I don't know. You know it's just something, we, yeah, it's not important. How many of you know uh, we can combat that in our own life and in the church by releasing a spirit and an attitude of gratitude in the church at our prayers. Lord, thank you for my church family. Thank you for those that have, you've brought to Church on the Rock North. Thank you, Lord God, that you're blessing them and you're helping. Lord, I thank you for my church. I th- And then you, on a personal level, you can start thanking God for those who God has placed in your life, maybe people in authority or people God's given you, friends. How many appreciate friends in the house of God? Amen. And you start Thanking God for them, and I, there's something supernatural begins to happen when you begin your prayers uh, with an attitude of gratitude. In fact, what did Jesus teach us to pray? When He said, "Let me teach you how to pray," in Matthew six, He said, "This is what you do: Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done." In other words, He said, "When you begin your prayer time, do it with an enter His gates with." thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and so the same principle is true for when we pray over certain people that attitude of gratitude being released into the family of God is so very important amen you got it tonight turn around and tell somebody thank God for you my friend tell somebody thank God for you when I pray for you tonight or tomorrow I'm gonna thank God for you and I'm, going to just, I'm just going to bombard heaven and thank God for bringing uh, uh, Jeremy to the house of God. Lord, thank you for Jeremy Mason. Bless him, Lord. Thank you for Wade. God bless him, Lord. Thank you for bringing him to the house of God. Amen. And so, very important uh, to do. It, it, it has a way to keep us, I'll call it, attitudinally in tune. How many of you ever need an attitude adjustment? The spirit of thanksgiving, thanking God for your church family will keep you attitudinally tuned correctly towards God and his house. And let me just say by way of warning, one of the the first signs of a a degrading uh, spiritual, uh, one of the first signs of a degradation of a spiritual walk with God, did you know what it is? An ungrateful heart. In fact, read Romans 1. One of the first things that happened to people who fell away from God is they didn't honor God as God and nor were they thankful. Then it says, therefore God gave them over to the lust of the flesh. In other words, when they lost the attitude of gratitude, it put them in a very precarious place. And and, and it's one of the first signs of a death of degradation of the, of our walk with God and maybe a falling away. So very important in praying for the church. We see it in two or three places with Paul. Let's, let's just release the attitude of gratitude. Thank God for our church. Amen. I, love, I have a friend of mine who, uh, and I, I haven't listened to his series, but he preached a series uh, in his church and it was titled this, I Love My Church. Now I like that title because what it what it does is bring people back in the context of Wow, the benefit of the local church in my life. Thank God for the local church. Amen. Uh, I thank God for the local church all the time from the standpoint of uh, my children and my, now my grandchildren are serving the Lord in, in church. Uh, both of my grandsons are in the nursery tonight being ministered to. Thank God for the local church. Amen. So important, verse verse 16, continual thanksgiving. Verse 17, he gets a little deeper. He said, this is what I'm praying for, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's praying, he said, may God grace you and give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul understands something about the church ministry. It does not function without the wisdom of God and revelation from God that comes from God he said I want this church to be be full of this, of a spirit of wisdom and have revelation that that is born out of a knowledge of God now let me just say this the more you get to know him the more revelation is released into your life and Paul is praying for this church He says I'm praying that the church Will know Christ more and more And as a result there will be The wisdom of God in their life And the revelation of God Being released in the, that God Would reveal his will and his Plan it kind of reminds me of Paul's prayer to the Colossians he said That they would understand God's Will in their life and begin to walk In the will of God for, for our lives And that's what I'm praying for you tonight That's what I'm praying for our church God God to us the revelation of God in our life. So we awaken to the reality of the purpose of God for our life. And so he's praying for that revelation, that uncovering, that revealing. Uh, uh, in fact, Paul prayed for his own life. He made, the, he made this declaration about his own life in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He said, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. And what's he praying here in verse 17? Really, that this church would get to know God so much. Not a head knowledge only, but a heart knowledge. That they might, that knowledge that they have of God would release the spirit of wisdom in their life and the revelation of God in their life. How many of you know we need that in the body of Christ today? Amen. Not just head knowledge, heart knowledge, relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 18, this gets a little deeper and more detailed. He says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened that you may know. Everyone say that you may know. Let's stop right there. Let's real, let's, he's praying that our eyes would be open and enlightened, and it kind of agrees with verse 17 about Revelation, uh, that they may know some things. Now, here's the truth that you and I need to understand about, about the church, that a large part of the local church, large part of God's people— they miss God's best simply because of some things that they do not know. Are you with me? In fact, Hosea said this, Hosea chapter 6, I think, 4 verse 6. He said, my people are destroyed for a lack of what? Knowledge. Paul knows the, the importance of, of knowledge and insight and, and, and the fact if we don't know some things, if you don't know that Uncle Harry has, has deposited in, in your account... 40 million dollars or in account that when he dies you get 40 million dollars and you don't know that and nobody tells you that and uncle harry dies and you don't even know that that in the bank that you drive by every day there's 40 million dollars that is waiting for you and nobody ever told you that and you didn't know that how many of you know that would bother you once you found that out and, and at the judgment seat of christ or something you would go wow i did not know That I had all of this available to me. And we'll see that Paul is going to pray that their eyes would be open to some things that they need to know. And many of God's people just don't know. The validity and, the, and, and so many things. And because of that, they miss God's best in their life. And Paul doesn't want the church in Ephesus to miss God's best. He said, oh God, open their eyes that they may see some things, that they may know some things. Have you ever come to a place where you got revelation in your life and, and the light went on and you went, aha. Now I know what that means. Now I know what God is up to. It's like an epiphany moment when the light comes on and you go, "Now I know." Wow. And now that I know, I can move forward in some things I know. What Paul say about the word of uh, pardon me. Jesus said about the word in John 8, he said, "If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free." If you don't know the truth, you can't walk in liberty, right? It's the truth you know. You know, I heard, uh, you know, Oprah, she, I, bless her heart, I don't, I don't know her eternal condition of her soul. Uh, I think she thinks she knows. I, I, but she would, I've heard her quote this. You know, the truth will set you free. Doesn't either. Truth doesn't set you free. If the truth sets you free, you can just take the Bible and put it on your head and go, I got the truth on my head, so it's got to set uh-huh. The truth doesn't set you free. It's the truth you know. If you don't know, you can't walk in it, right? It's the truth you know. And so here we find Paul the Apostle praying for the church about some things that they need to know. And you're here tonight, and you get to hear them and understand them and begin to say, God, let me understand. And know these things in my own life. Are you ready? Here we go. Let's look at the next slide. What did he pray for? He prayed that they would know, have revelation and insight, that their eyes would be opened to what? The hope of his calling. Eric, if we can move forward, that would help me a lot. That, uh, that we would know the hope of... Of his calling. Whoa! Stop! Stop! There we go. He hit that butt. Stop! Stop! Go back! Go back! Go back two places. Amen. Here we go. One, two. Here we go. That they would know the hope of his calling. Now, uh, hope as we learned, hope is a confident expectation of something. A confident, and he's praying for this church that they would know and have a confidence in the calling of God on their life, that God has called them, and he has a plan for their life. He has a purpose for their life. Again, we could go back to the purpose-driven church as an illustration. Why is the purpose-driven life, you know, the second most sold book in the history of humanity? Because everybody wants to know their purpose. And they realize, hey, I, they're searching for the purpose of God. And Paul is praying that your eyes of your understanding may be open to the hope, the confidence, and the expectation of the call of God on your life. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Just flip a—just go over there. Let me show you what— Paul says about that 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 he said well we'll start in verse 8 Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God Look at this look at this statement verse 9 of first ti- first 2nd uh, Timothy chapter 1 Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling Aren't you glad he just dis- he didn't just save you but he saved you and then called you with a holy, godly calling. You've got a purpose beyond sitting, soaking, and souring. If you had no purpose, why are you here? If God didn't have a plan, if He didn't have a, a design for you, not just to be saved and go to heaven. If it was God's plan for you to be saved and go to heaven, you would have went to heaven right after you got saved. Look at your neighbor and say, "He's telling the truth here tonight." Somebody, he's he's preaching it tonight. And he's praying for this church that they, that they would get a confidence and a hope and an expectation over the call of God for their life. And Paul told the, Timothy, he said, man, he saved us and he called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. How many of you appreciate that? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. In other words, he doesn't look down and say, you know, look at old Josh. Man, Josh, he's been doing pretty good. I think I'll put him into the ministry. I think I'll give him a call. He's worked his way into a, into a uh, uh, what do you call it, up? Uh, when you're a promotion So therefore, he's not just going to be One of the sit, soak, and sour guys I'm going to let him do something for me No, that's the plan of God over everybody Once you get saved, you are now a Part of the calling of God Into this whole world And that's woo, that's what I want us to grasp here tonight You know, some let me be honest Some of you came to church tonight and Oh, hum, the tune is dumb. The words don't mean a thing. Isn't this a silly song? It's just what I do. I go to church because if I don't go to church, I'd probably go somewhere and get in trouble. So I guess I'll just go to church. And, you know, uh, you know I, I'm just coming to church because there ain't nothing better to do. Let me tell you something. I'm glad you made it even on that motivation, but let me tell you something. When something begins to stir in you about the reality, the hope of the call of God on your life, that you're not here just as, as some accident, you're not some cosmic splatter. You didn't just accidentally happen God before you were twinkling your daddy's eye Had a plan for your life and Paul's praying for this church That they would understand And that it was. And he told Timothy it's not according to our works But according to his own purpose and grace Which he has given to us in Christ Jesus Before time began So listen before time began God looked down and he said I've got a plan and a purpose for Cilicia's life Amen Isn't that awesome? And so Paul's praying for the church that they may know the hope of his calling. And then he moves on and he says that they may may know, ooh, this this is a mouthful. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Everyone say inheritance. How many of you know as a child of God you have an inheritance? And Paul says... He defines that. He said, I want them to know. You know, we talked about our uncle leaving us $40 million that we never knew. Paul is praying that the church would not miss their inheritance as children of God. And he didn't, you know, uh, he talked about it as riches. Everyone say riches. In other words, the blessings of God that are available to us the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is profoundly amazing. In fact, this is where we jump back up. Uh, If you go back to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, let's jump back up. Oh, let me jump in at verse... hmm, Jump in at verse 3. Catch this, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with... Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. How many of you know heaven has blessing? And Paul says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And then he jumps down and goes to verse uh, verse 18 and says, Lord, I pray that they get it. I pray that they know that they have a rich inheritance in Christ and that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, not just one. Some people look at others and say, well, God's really blessed him. Uh, He hadn't really blessed me. Oh, man, look at that, brother. He's been blessed. Let me tell you something. We've all been blessed equally. Okay. Okay? If you're looking at the temporary things of this life, those can be, those are just temporary blessings. But Paul's talking about eternal blessings that, that are rich and glorious, amen? And so, then he jumps down. Let me see if I can just skip a few. Mm, uh, where does it start talking about inheritance? In him, verse 11, in him also we have, have obtained. We have obtained. Everyone say, I have obtained. Everyone say, in him. Say, this is the key for us to stepping into what God has for us in him. That's what this prayer, he says, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It's his inheritance. Our, the spiritual blessings are available. Our spiritual inheritance as a child of God is in him. And we, he already, he said, we have obtained. In other words, it's available to us. It's not something we one day will attain. Well, in heaven, that's an eternal inheritance. But how many of you know we already have it? It is ours. Heaven is mine. Amen. Everyone say heaven is mine. But even in that, he goes on to say, "In him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you were also, in whom you also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise." That's a mouthful. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He put His seal upon us and look at verse 14 speaking of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory man I'm telling you you think about the Holy Spirit and who he is to us the comforter the teacher the helper the the prayer warrior within us oh man the gift giver oh all these wonderful things the Holy Spirit does for us Paul said, it's just the down payment. It's just the guarantee. You ever put down earnest money for something? Jesus said, Paul said here, the Holy Spirit and all that he is for us, it's just the down payment for all that one day we will obtain in Christ. And Paul's saying, Lord, open their eyes. Look at your neighbor and open your eyes. Say, open your eyes. Open your eyes. You got to see this. If you don't know it's available, you'll never be able to experience it. Amen. And how many of you know God wants heaven on earth before we get to heaven? Amen. To begin to experience the overflow of the blessings of God in our life through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so, powerful insight to the, to the, uh, the revelation. It's the guarantee of our inheritance. And so, wow. There's great inheritance in Christ. Paul's praying for the church that they would begin to have a revelation of the hope of the call of God on their life, the confidence, and then move into the call of God for their life and begin to experience the riches. Somebody say riches. The riches. Somebody say riches. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And so that's a mouthful. In fact, Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 2, verse 9, he said, But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Everybody say amen. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor entered the heart of man. Now, I can think of some great things. I've seen some great things. What God has for us cannot be equated in tangible, finite terms. That's why he said the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, if that were not enough, man, then he heats it up in verse 19. Now, verse 19 is a mouthful too. He's praying that their eyes of their understanding would be enlightened that they may know one, the hope of his calling to, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Uh, number three, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us or to those who what? Believe. He said, that I'm praying that they would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. And he says. According to or in accordance with the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now some have said that this verse 19 is the most powerful verse in the Bible. Let me just throw out these words to you. It's the strongest most powerful verse in the Bible because there's, there's five different descriptive words. that Now think of Paul when he's praying for this church. He's wanting them to know that, hey, that he wants them to experience God's, come on, somebody say his power. And so this descriptive verse has five different words that just just describe the glory and the supernatural capacity of God's power in their life. He said, I pray that they may know. Everyone say, may know. Here we go, these words, that they may know what? What is the exceeding greatness? Everyone say exceeding greatness. Come on, everybody say exceeding greatness. The Greek word for greatness is megathos. Everyone say mega. When you think of mega, what do you think of? Uh, yeah, just f- mega, uh, you know uh, Some people think a big gulp, I don't know it's, You know, something big, you know You want me mean mega size it or whatever, you know, a big fry I'm telling you, when he says the, the power and the strength of God is mega Whatever you think is big, it's mega above it It's great He said, I want them to know the greatness The megathos of his power Everyone say power That word, as we have learned before, and and let me just stop and say, sometimes in Scripture, especially in in, uh, King James, the word power is two different words. Sometimes it's not dunamis, it's exousia, which means authority, which is still a good word. This word power here is the same word in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you receive power to be my witnesses, the word is dunamis, it means supernatural, miraculous power that moves through you by the ability of the Holy Spirit in your life, by the empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he's he's saying, I want, I'm praying that they know the mega greatness of the Holy Spirit's supernatural power in their life. How many of you know we've not scratched the surface of that just quite yet? That means we might need to really begin to pray, God, open our eyes. In fact, everybody do this, Lord, open my eyes. Come on, open our eyes, Lord, that we may see, have a revelation of the mega power, the mega supernatural power of God that is available to us. The same kind of power that was worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, resurrection power. Somebody say power. He's saying, I want them to understand that. You know, uh, there's two kinds of faith. There's some levels of faith. Uh, One level is I believe God will do something in the future and then another one is, I believe God will reverse something that happened in the past. That's what happened to Jesus. He died. And Lazarus, dead. It's a whole new level of faith. You know, it's one, one level of faith, God, keep me from dying. It's another level of faith, Lord, bring him back to life. And Paul's praying that we would have the kind of understanding and the greatness of God's supernatural power, that same kind of power that was manifest when Jesus was raised from the dead, that God, if necessary, can reverse the natural course of this world for his kingdom glory. Lord, help us understand and know that. The next word, he goes on to say in verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us uh, who believe according to the working everyone say working that working is energy energy that's where we get the word ener- energy according to the energy uh, uh, according to the energy of his mighty power everyone say mighty power Mighty, the word mighty is kratos, kratos. It means strength and vigor. According to the the energy of his strength and vigor, uh, and the word power is is a different word than the first word power. It's iskus, meaning his forcefulness. Now, that's why we might call this verse the strongest, most powerful verse in Scripture. And so, I just see Paul in his prayer. He's going... Let me see how I can say this to describe to you and pray over you the greatness, the mega supernatural energy and strength and vigor and force of God's power in your life that he revealed to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let us know that. Let our eyes be open to the power. Now, let's think about these three thoughts here. Let's put them together. He prayed that we would understand the call of God for our life and have a confidence in the call. He prayed that we would understand our inheritance as a Christian, that all that we have already, we have obtained. Everyone say we have obtained. And then the third thing, that we would know the power of God, the resurrection power of God, That we would know it. No, everyone's saying, I got to know that. I got to know that. Amen. So, powerful prayers for the church. And then, let me just stop and say before I shift gears here just a little bit. How many of those three things are very important in the church? Amen. The call of God, our inheritance. All that we have, our inheritance, man, is so is just so mega. It's so amazing so many things. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Not only our inheritance of eternity, but in the here and now, we have been blessed with spiritual blessings to accomplish His kingdom purposes. And then that they we know His power that we operate and work in the in the the greatness of His power and His energy, His working his strength and his force would be manifest in us and through us. Amen? And so he prays that prayer over them. Uh, And then he closes out this book. This book of Ephesians. If you turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. How many of you know Ephesians 6 has to do by and large with what? Everyone say the armor of God. It has other things they there, important things. But the, from verse 10 to down to verse uh, 18, 19 has to do with the armor of God. Now, we're not going to talk about the armor of God, but I'm going to ask you the context here a moment. Let's look in verse 18. This is just a few verses before he says amen. Let's look at what he encourages, he requests, he instructs the church to do. Okay? After he's prayed for them and then he's encouraged them and he's closing out this letter. He says in verse uh, 18, uh, praying always. He's instructing the church, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the what? Everyone say saints. Saints. And then he says, and, 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 and for me, he said, and pray for me that utterance may get, be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So we see in the close of this letter, now he's prayed for the church. He prayed for us that we'd know the hope of our calling, that we'd understand and have a revelation of our inheritance as a Christian, that that what we have in Christ. And he prays that we would understand the mega supernatural strength and power and authority, resurrection power of God in our life. And then he closes this book with an instruction to the church to pray and keep praying and pray for the saints and pray for him that boldness would be revealed. So... So, he's instructing the church here now to pray for one another. So, there we find the validity. Let's jump in. And what's the context of this closing where he says pray for one another? What's the context of chapter 6? It's spiritual warfare. In other words, there's a battle going on and prayer is a—everyone go, huge— Prayer is a huge part of staying victorious over the powers of darkness. Look what he says in verse uh, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. The context for this instruction to pray for the church is is there's spiritual warfare going on. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And powers and spiritual forces of wickedness In heavenly places Most churches or many churches All they do is wrestle one another Over the color of the carpet Or who's going to be able to do this or do that They're they're always internally bickering And guess who really got the victory The devil It's spiritual warfare And so he's saying Listen there's a spiritual battle going on Put on the whole armor of God Stand and resist the devil And having done all to stand Stand therefore covered in the armor of God and then you don't stop praying for one another. See, I just think most of us, including myself, haven't quite stepped across that, that, uh, that demarcation line. Most of our prayers have to do with us. It's real quiet in here already, but now it's really quiet. And he said, there's a spiritual battle. And as a soldier in the army of God, hey, listen, you got to pray. He said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Let me give you some key words and phrases here. Always. Everyone say always. Always. Anybody know what the Greek de- definition of always is? Always. Always be praying. You say, "Oh, Pastor, what am I to do if I'm always praying?" Let me tell you something. Prayer is a lifestyle. It's not just an act you do before you eat lunch. Now I, you know, bless it, guide it, and hide it. Amen. Or now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake. I pray the Lord my soul to take. Or as the athletes do before they go out and bust heads. Father, it's not time. I'll be the name of the king comes. We'll done. This, this is our daily bread. If we get our debts, we forget our dishes. We forget at least not until you learn the the king, the power and the glory forever. Ah, now do no kill people. <laughs> prayer is much more than that. It's a lifestyle, and Paul says, "He always pray. In other words, the priority of prayer for the church family is an always responsibility. In fact, what, what did Paul say to the Thessalonians and? I think it's 1 Thessalonians 5. He said, pray without what? Ceasing. Have a lifestyle of prayer. You know this, most times in the morning when I wake up, it's in an attitude of prayer. Unless the devil got in my dreams. The devil ever get in your dreams? You wake up, man, you know, I did that the other night. I woke up, boy, people were after me trying to, Steal and kill and destroy I, I had spiritual warfare going on in my dreams and I woke up and had to get up and go Who Lord then I started praying get that off of me. I don't know what that was but I need to lay me down. Let my sleep be sweet But I, it's a lifestyle. Everyone say always And then the word prayer he said with all prayer and supplication the word prayer is a generalized word and it can be uh, almost worship uh, with all prayer worship you know, you come into the presence of God and, and fellowship with Him. But then he throws in the word supplication. Everyone say supplication. That has to do with specific requests. It has to do with, with getting down to making our request known to God. Supplication. In fact, Paul told the Philippians, Philippians 4, 6, he said, don't worry about anything. Uh, fret not about anything, but, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Hit that, that one, Eric, for us, the supplication word. It's specific requests. And he said, with all prayer and supplication In other words, don't just be generalized Lord bless the church Let's get specific That's what I think some of our five The, the thing, reason God gave us as a church the, the five things that we pray for We're praying that God would forgive us And make us holy and righteous That God would free us and walk in the liberty That we have in Christ And we experience greater liberty That God would focus us on his purpose And the call of God for our life That God would fill the house Not only with his spirit, with with fresh new harvest and finally that God would finance the house that he would, he would do a supernatural work of debt cancellation that we would pray God give us not only this day our daily bread but God we pray you would supernaturally supply finance for this church that we would be liberated from the indebtedness so we can do more for the kingdom of God it's called praying specifically how many of you know when you need $100 for the electric bill you don't say Lord I just pray it somehow you'd bless me no you go Lord I know you know this, but I'm just telling you the electric bill is $102.38, and I need $102.38. That's being specific. Nothing wrong with that. And that's what he said. Get specific with your prayers. He said always, with all prayer and supplication, I love this phrase, in the spirit. Everyone say in the spirit. Some people pray, but not in the spirit. They're praying in the now. How many of you know? I don't have any real biblical basis for this, other than a lot of people are prayer warriors and not prayer warriors. That's why Paul said, "Don't worry about anything, but pray about ever, everything." Philippians four six. So Paul throws this in this phrase: when you're praying for the church, you get in the spirit. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And and all I can say is there is, let me me just throw this illustration out to you. Uh, Sunday night we had our Connect Crew meeting. And we were going to pray a little bit for the church family. And uh, I said, okay, let's stand up. There was no worship leader, nothing. I said, let's just jump into the spirit of prayer And I said we don't have music even so we're gonna have to move beyond that and and just kind of really battle to get in the spirit And Ryan went back had his little uh, iPhone had some worship music He plugged in the sound system and about 30 seconds a little music came on a worship and man, you know what it did? It stirred me in the spirit. And all of a sudden, I could feel a kicking in. And we didn't pray, but about what, three or four or five minutes. But to me, when that music came on, all of a sudden, I seemed to get in the flow of the spirit. And then I began to pray effectively. And I'm moving in the spirit, and I'm in the flow. I'm in the groove. Everyone say, in the groove. You know. Uh, Pastor Sam got his groove back He got into the spirit And you know what it, That's so important for us in, the, in prayer You know that's why we enter his gates with thanksgiving And into his courts with praise We come in and we, let, we just unlock The spirit of God in our heart And let the spirit of God begin to flow And how many of you know Romans 8 26 I think it is Says this We don't know sometimes how we ought to pray But the spirit prays through us With groanings too deep for words In other words the Holy Spirit is a great power and assistance in us in praying through some things that we don't know how to pray as we should. You, everyone say, in the Spirit. He said, when you pray for the church, you just come into my presence, always be praying. but You pray and just get in my presence, and you begin to supplicate, bring those specifics to me, but do it in the Spirit, praying with all supplication in the Spirit. And then he says, being watchful. Everyone say, watchful. Watching means to stay awake spiritually. In your prayer life, you can't go to sleep. You can't get mundane. You've got to stay spiritually awake and in tune. Now, remember, what's the context? Spiritual warfare. You can't be lulled to sleep. Man, you fall asleep. What What did the disciples do with Jesus in his greatest warfare moment in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was sweating great drops of blood? What did his close companions do? They fell fast asleep. And he said, could you not tarry with me just one hour? And so he tells the church in your prayer for the church, when you get the Spirit, You've got to be watchful. He said, watchful to this end with all perseverance. In other words, don't ever fall asleep. Stay watching. Stay focused until the end. And he says, persevering. Everyone say perseverance. With all perseverance. And there it is again, persistency. Daniel was persistent. It was his custom. He was consistent and persistent. He prayed for Jerusalem for 80, oh, he's probably, let's say he's 15. He died around 85, 70 years, the entire time of the Babylonian captivity. He prayed for Jerusalem, for us, the church, knowing that he would never see it with his natural eye, probably never see it with his natural eye. He persevered in prayer. He did not quit. Perseverance and supplication in the context of, is for all, everyone say the saints. Let me go back to Jesus' prayer in John 17 when he prayed for us. You remember what he said very clearly? I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for these that you've given me. Why? Because if the church gets in the groove spiritually and begins to fulfill God's kingdom purpose, the world will be taken care of because that's the purpose of God for the church. Amen? And then he closes out this prayer and this request for prayer. He says, and pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Let me just throw out this. We need to pray for great boldness for one another, that our mouths would be opened boldly, that we may proclaim the gospel clearly with great boldness to a world that is so desperately in need of a savior we start praying those kind of prayers over the church the church starts praying over the church these kind of prayers wow look out devil amen let's stand up together thank you Jesus thank you Lord thank you Jesus thank you Lord Thank you Jesus Now let's just Let's just release Let's say Hey you want to get in the flow Just a second I bet I bet Cade can help us Let's just practice A little in the spirit Praying here For just a few moments Some of you are checking Out of the spirit here And check into the spirit For just a few moments It's only 10 or 11 After after 8 Let's just Let's just Enter his presence here For a few moments And let's just pray That God would help us Become prayer warriors Thank you Lord Come on, just begin to praise Him. Just begin to thank Him. Just begin to worship Him, Lord. We bless you tonight, Lord. We thank you for the church, Lord. God, we pray, Lord, you would help us to begin to pray, Lord, for one another and cover the church in prayer like never before.